Hey, it's Zach, and the annual NBA on Christmas Day tradition continues with five of the best gifts anyone could ask for. The star-studded schedule starts at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on ESPN with the Hawks taking on the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. Then over on ABC, the Celtics score off against the Bucks, followed by the Suns hosting the Warriors. Then on ABC and ESPN, the Nets battle the Lakers with the day capped off whew, by the Mavs clashing with the Jazz at 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 Pacific on ESPN. What a Christmas Day NBA lineup. And now... The Low Post. Welcome to the Low Post podcast slash Zach's Amateur Epidemiology Hour, where we are going to talk about epidemiology with an actual scientist soon because that's fun. Before that, we'll talk about basketball and to help us sort of sort out what was a ooh, a little busier and more interesting weekend than expected given the fact that teams are just absolutely decimated by players and health and safety protocols. Uh, a guy who was a little busier writing stuff than expected this weekend, uh, Mr. Kevin Pelton, out in Seattle, number one Kraken fanboy. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, despite uh, Kraken coming off a defeat the other night. I, I, I didn't know that. Did Ray Bork play? Cam Neely? <laughs> Any of those guys get in the game? No, none uh, of them. Craig Janney, Andy Moog. This is my high. This is the word. We're, we're, this is my hockey knowledge. Um, Jeremy Roenick. Was he? He's a GM, isn't he? That sounds Our right. Our coach, yeah. he's something. Um, famous Jeremy Roenick scene in Swingers, by the way, for the other old people listening to this podcast. Um, the big news of the week was Anthony Davis is out for four weeks at a minimum, it seems like, with a sprained MCL. Um, let's talk about the Lakers and see uh, to what degree we should be in DEFCON 1 about the Lakers who had championship expectations and are not performing and have never have performed with this roster like a championship team, a roster that I don't think neither you nor I loved as much as the over-unders loved them and stuff like that, mostly because of some awkward fit issues, et cetera, et cetera. So here's my initial reaction without checking the standings, without doing any research, without doing anything at all, when the news came was, whoo, are the Lakers lucky the West for the first time in a million years sucks. And then I looked, and so here's where we are. The Lakers, after losing last night in Chicago, and by the way, Credit the Bulls, who are still, uh, I believe, second in the East, maybe third, second at 18 and 10 for navigating the health and safety protocols they face. They've been decimated. They had two games postponed um, and they are just continuing to win. And DeMar DeRozan had just a monster old school throwback performance last night to close out the Lakers. The Lakers are 16 and 15. They are 24th in offense, ugh, 11th in defense. Minus 0.9 per 100 possessions. That's like 20th or 21st. They are 7th in the West. They are tied in the loss column with teams 8 and 9. You're fighting Minnesota Timberwolves and you're just absolutely hard to watch Dallas Mavericks. And really the best thing they have going for them is that there is a huge gap between 9 and 10 in the West. 10 is the Kings. And so, I mean, I'm looking at this every which way I look at it. Now, you got, look, Denver at six, injury issues. Clippers at five, injury issues. Grizzlies at four, injury issues. Everybody under, although we'll talk about the Grizzlies in a second. Everybody under three is at least a minor question mark. So, like, it's totally within the realm of possibility that the Lakers could pass one or more of those teams. But if you look right now, I, I think without AD for a month and given all the other injuries they have, I think the safest outcome to bet on for the Lakers, not necessarily what is going to happen, but the safest outcome to assume 
is a play-in berth, I think. Is that right, KP? Yeah, it seems reasonable. I mean, it's in some ways a repeat of last year. I mean, obviously it's not as extended a period, hopefully for Davis, as it was last season. And it's not overlapping with LeBron's absence, which is what really sent them tumbling into the play-in last season. But you know, I think... I, I think even getting up to fourth is is wildly optimistic at this point. Memphis is three games up, playing great basketball, about to get John Morant back. Uh, you know, they could pass, like you said, a couple of those teams get into five and six and not have to sweat out that play-in and get to rest LeBron and every, all their veterans that week instead of having to play. But that, again, is looking like a, a positive outcome more than an expected outcome. Them being somewhere seven to ten is the expected outcome. Um. 538 now you can take these for what they're worth i don't i haven't looked under the hood on all this stuff in years and years so my brain can't can't handle it anymore uh 538 has them at a 29% chance of making the playoffs which i assume factors in play in volatility and all of that uh 538 which est- or no, basketball reference rather which estimates um sort of what seed you'll get has kind of an equal distribution of outcomes for the Lakers from seven, eight, nine, ten. 10 in, in like, they're all like a 10 to 12%, 15% chance, a 6% chance of number six. So they have them pegged for the play in. I mean, it's time like buckle up. This is reality. Now, like this is 31 games into the season. The team has never been good. They've never been whole. Um, uh, we can talk about reasons for optimism in a second, but a lot of those reasons for optimism are moot until Anthony Davis comes back Look, the bottom line is those of us who are pessimistic about the fit going into the season, particularly trading an entire roster of players for the worst shooting point guard in the world, uh, who also loves to shoot, which is not a great combination around LeBron James. Although Russ is playing fine. Russ is doing Russ things. He's fine, whatever. Um, the, The zoom out take was if you get peak LeBron and peak Anthony Davis, that solves a lot of these problems that solves a lot of these issues um we just haven't gotten those things this year i mean that's the bottom line even before this injury we haven't gotten these things this year we could talk about lebron and ad and how they perform but unless that changes i just don't see i i don't i don't i don't know what to expect other than to tell lakers fans buckle up like this is just what your team is i mean to your point about lebron and ad despite my concerns about the westbrook fit I still picked the Lakers to win the West because my take was, look, I don't trust the Lakers, but I don't trust any any other individual team in the West more than them. And I think that has changed because Phoenix has shown that, you know, Chris Paul's age is not going to be an issue for them, that they are going to be as good as they were in last year's playoffs, as you've talked about at length on this podcast. And obviously the Warriors coming not out of nowhere, but out of question, that questionable status to look now like a a legitimate championship contender. So, you know, those teams are more likely, but it was the, the reason you would do that, despite the concerns about the Westbrook fit is exactly what you said, that LeBron in a short series can still be the best player on the court that AD can be the best complementary player on the court. And that's what made them so scary. And yeah, they they haven't been that. And they haven't been that, you know, LeBron has been injured, but they haven't been that against the easiest schedule in the league so far. And that's not necessarily going to change dramatically in the next four weeks. You know, it's a pretty favorable home schedule over the period that we know Anthony Davis is going to miss. But if he starts missing five to six weeks, because it's just a reevaluation in four weeks, that's when the schedule starts getting real difficult. And also they just, they have to at some point dominate this easy schedule to make up for the fact that the schedule is going to get so much harder in the second half of the season. 
Here are their next month's worth of games, the approximate Anthony Davis absence period. Uh, Phoenix tomorrow. Good luck. Spurs playing pretty good ball in the last month. Brooklyn on Christmas, the star-studded Christmas affair, which is not going to be as much of a star-studded Christmas affair, unfortunately. At Houston, okay, Houston's hot right now. Hot-ish by Rocket standards. My boy Jay Sean Tate, I love watching Jay Sean Tate. I would, he would be on my bottom 10 of players that I would want to take a charge from in an NBA game. Just a bowling ball flying around. Uh, Memphis, Portland, Minnesota, Sacramento. And I want to stop for a second. It seems crazy to say this. Then they play Sacramento again like two games later. Those are important games for the Lakers because if they give the Kings a lifeline into this race or if the Kings grab a hold of a lifeline into this race and the Blazers stabilize their season and Minnesota keeps playing well enough to hover around 500, it just becomes a little messier in the West. Like those are important. Then Atlanta, Memphis, Sac again, Denver. Like those are important. They might not be elite opponents as you're saying, but if those games go sour for the Lakers, enough of them anyway, like this could get hairy for them. I mean, we've already seen that, like the losing at Minnesota. I think they're 0-2 this season against the Timberwolves thus far. Losing at Chicago with Levine still sidelined and a number of other players because of the protocols, as you mentioned. Like this team hasn't taken care of business. And the other aspect of it is to go back to the playing conversation. I, I think there's sometimes a tendency to treat it as, well, you're either in the play-in or you're out of it. But there's a really big difference between it being in that 7-8 game, especially being at home for that 7-8 game, and then being in that 9-10 game and having to win two games to get to the playoffs. And so if the Lakers get stuck in 9-10, and 10, it's a much more difficult path. You know, even if they navigate it, it's still that many more miles on LeBron, who is playing a ton of minutes at his age and, and potentially AD. Uh, I looked up LeBron's post-up numbers today. Um just because he got he, he had a post up against I think it was Javante Green last night in Chicago where Vooch came over to help and he just had absolutely no lift and got like double swatted around the rim and you just don't see that happen to LeBron James uh, and and posting up this season when Russ and a center Russ AD and a center those are like suboptimal spatial environments for for anybody posting up but LeBron's post ups. points per possession when he shoots or passes to someone who shoots. 0.985 points per possession overall on all trips featuring a LeBron post-up at any time. Those are the lowest numbers of his career. That's according to Second Spectrum by far. And it tracks with just all his numbers are down. And some of the production decline is being masked by the fact that he's playing three more minutes per game than last year. But if you look at the per-minute production, it's down. His advanced stats are the lowest since his rookie year across the board. I still, again, I will say this in one game for everything, you know, knowing I can, he can throw everything he's got in the tank at it. He's right there still with KD and Giannis in my, he's going to be right there in my mind. I I will until he retires from the NBA basically, or, or just, you know, something, some catastrophic injury, hopefully never happens to him. But that's just not how the NBA works. There is no one game for everything. You have to play a gazillion games to earn your way to one game being for everything. And he, we're now 31 games into this season. He's had injuries every year he's been in L.A. I think we've reached a point where it's it's just not even controversial at all to say the decline is finally here. Age has finally caught up to some degree with LeBron James. I mean, it's, I just don't know what else to say. Yeah, I mean, it was he was 
evident in gradual ways for a period of time. Obviously, there was the not the same kind of effort during the regular season at the defensive end in the end of the Miami era and then into his Cleveland days, which which changed a bit when he got to the Lakers and, and when Frank Vogel took over as coach. And he was a key part of that defense being really good two years ago. But now it's it's more palpable than it's been at any point during his career. Can I give you some reasons for optimism? Of course. Number one, I keep repeating this step because it never changes because they're always injured. They have no lineup this season that has played more than 53 minutes total. That's the lowest figure for a team's most used lineup of any team. And it's not, it's just, it's just staying there. And every other team's most used lineup, although not so much right now, is climbing. It, 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 that lineup has only appeared in seven games for the Lakers. Seven games. They've played 31 games. It's indicative to how much roster stability they faced. The other stat that I look at all the time, although I don't have to look at it now for a while, is Russ, AD, LeBron, big three, on the floor with no center. Plus 11 per 100 possessions in 184 minutes. I'm clinging to that. I'm clinging to that like grim death. Especially now Ariza came back last night in Chicago. None in theory will come back at some point. THT will get out of protocols. He's shooting 28% from three. Maybe that increases, whatever. I at least am going to start getting some tools to build better versions of those lineups. Is that enough reason for hope that somewhere down the line, maybe if I'm healthy, LeBron and AD are healthy, I can push these top three teams in the West? Yeah, I think if we're talking... The best case scenario for the Lakers, I still think it includes a championship for them. They've just got such a wide range of outcomes from out in the play-in to winning the championship that I don't think anyone else in the league has that wide range of an outcome at this point. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, Birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. You know who else is happy right now? The Pelicans and the Grizzlies. Griff, David Griffin, the I don't even, he's got some weird title with the Pelicans. I'm just going to make it up. The vice chancellor of the Pelicans has taken a lot of heat. It's been a, it's been a rough couple of years for David Griffin. J.J. Redick ripped him out the door as allegedly dishonest. The Zion thing has kind of gone haywire. The Lonzo Devontae Graham thing hasn't worked out. They traded, blah, 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 blah. All, We can go on. All the coaches. Huh? Uh, all, yeah, a million coaches. Um, 
what's his name? Pierre the Pelican, just you know, top top fifteen mascot at best. It's just not going. It's not going great for the Pelicans. But they did bet in the Anthony Davis trade against the Lakers. That was the heart of their trade. You can talk Ingram and betting against the Lakers was the heart of their trade. They have incoming the Lakers pick this year if it's in the top ten. If it's not, if it's eleven to thirty, the Grizzlies get the Lakers pick. And right now, I think both those teams are like, all right, we like this. Maybe we will get the pick. Maybe we won't. The, the Pelicans are like, whoa, do we suddenly have a chance to maybe get that pick? This is insane. Um, then they have a twenty twenty three swap with the Lakers, and either the Lakers uh, unprotected and the Lakers unprotected pick in their choice at twenty twenty four or twenty twenty five. They can defer it to twenty twenty five. All of a sudden, you you can rip. Ripped the Pelicans for lots of moves. God knows I have. Betting against the Lakers doesn't... Now, this is the Lakers, and probably somebody will go there. Like, they can always seem to count on stars, although they went through that fallow period where they could not count on stars, and every star was rejecting them and saying, no, no, no. So you can tell me that they'll never bottom out this and that. We've seen teams accidentally have horrible seasons before, and that's what the Pelicans are betting on. Yeah, and... When you look at the ages age of the Lakers roster, it certainly enhances the chance of that bet. No, that's just a narrative. That's just a media narrative, Kevin. That's just a narrative. It's not a fact. It's a narrative. Or does something become? Does a fact become a narrative just by talking about it? Yes. So by talking about a fact, is it now a narrative? I don't understand that. Can you explain that to me? What are the numbers behind that? <laughs> You know, I'm not going to do a mailbag for a couple weeks. I, I didn't look it up before the pod, but someone did ask whether the roster the Lakers rolled out last night was the oldest lineup in NBA history because the young guys that they did add, Malik Monks in protocols, uh, Nunn, Horton Tucker, they're, they're actually all in protocols, although, as you mentioned, Nunn is also injured. So all of those guys weren't available. Austin Reeves, all those guys weren't available. Only Shondi I Brown. forgot about Austin Reeves. I, I can't even keep track anymore. It's so depressing and all you can say is, look, I'm going to have a real scientist on. Not that you're not a real scientist, a real like medical scientist on um, shortly. And all you can say is, you know, the reports are that and what I'm hearing sort of privately and stuff is that most of these cases are asymptomatic to, to just mild symptoms. And that's wonderful. Um, you just hope all these guys get healthy. And in the meantime, it, it's like we're living this bizarro version of free agency, like the most boring possible July 1st the most boring and depressing possible July 1st you could you could ever have. Um, but yeah, I can't even, I guess your point is the young guy, the younger cavalry is coming at some point. But, but that they legitimately are that old right now. And I, I think it does contrast their decisions with some other teams in free agency. I will say, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in what you think of LeBron at center lineup constructions or Carmelo at center, depending on who you define the center in those lineups. They're going to have to play them a lot. I thought they looked good against the Bulls last night offensively. Um, I don't have the updated numbers before that game. Those those lineups had actually been kind of meh and a slight net negative. Um, defensively, I, I just don't know how you can possibly hope to survive with a lineup of, this is a real lineup they played in the year of our basketball gods 2022. Isaiah Thomas, Wayne Ellington, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, and who am I forgetting? Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. I can't believe it. Like, you just can't hope to play. There's no defense you can play with that lineup. You can't switch because you have Isaiah Thomas and Carmelo Anthony. You can't blitz. You can't rebound. I mean, the Lakers, the secret problem for the Lakers is they're an awful rebounding team on both ends of the floor. But 
offensively, I wonder if you watching these lineups, if you, if you think maybe they can sort of find some dynamism, some bits of dynamism and flow that maybe they can carry over to Davis at center lineups. Have you seen anything like that? Well, to these lineups specifically, one thing I noticed last night in Chicago, there was at least one of the, to your LeBron post-up point, there was one of them where Westbrook was in the other block. He was, you know, functioning basically as the center and you're posting up your power forward. And then you had the three shooters in Thomas Ellington and, and whether uh, Anthony out there. And suddenly they created a little more space for the LeBron post-ups. And they were, as you said, effective offensively down the stretch last night. And... Weirdly, their defensive problems, I don't think, had much to do with the size of that lineup. It was just that DeMar DeRozan is making every mid-range jump shot he attempts this season, which is impressive to see. But he, like, they were forcing tough shots from DeMar DeRozan. He was just making all of them down the stretch. Yeah, he he's in, has been incredible. And again, credit to the Bulls. They've just gutted this out and gutted this out. Lonzo and Caruso have been constants for them when they haven't been in protocols. Again, I don't remember which, if either was in protocols. I cannot keep track anymore. Everyone is in and out. Um, but I just defensively, but I, I'm talking about like yeah. there were possessions last night where Russ set a, set a flare screen and then slipped it to the rim and got a cutting basket out of it or opened up maybe DeAndre got a dunk out of that. Like little stuff like that. Russ spacing to the corner on LeBron pick and rolls where he's actually shot okay on a very low volume of threes, but still Russ being in the dunker spot, just cooperative, like fast moving screening actions. I just think for this team with Russ, LeBron and AD to really get into that space where they can contend with Utah, Phoenix and Golden State, all of those guys are going to have, particularly Russ is going to have, they're going to have to get uncomfortable. They're going to have to do things that have been unusual for them throughout their careers. Cut, screen, move off the ball, be in different positions on the floor. And I, this weird centerless lineup kind of engages that gear for them. But then the other aspect of it is if you're going to put Russ in the dunker spot and use him as the big man effectively in those lineups, AD's got to be a legit threat from the perimeter. And that's, you know, maybe the biggest surprise and disappointment of the season is how ineffective he's been as a jump shooter. Well, buckle up. It's going to be some drama for the Lakers. Let's talk about some teams that are winning some games. You wrote about the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, their their massive winning streak without John Morant came to an end. A nice win for Portland last night in Memphis. Um, the Grizzlies are now fourth in the West with a bullet, 19-12. and 12. Uh, They are fifth in offense, which has to be among the most surprising stats of the season, considering that their offensive fulcrum, John Moran, has just missed a whole bunch of games. And up to 16th in defense, they were first in defense by a mile during the games Morant missed. Some of that is just horrible three-point shooting by their opponents. But I, I do think there's there's more going on there. Um, what's what do I what do you make of this team? Is this a legitimate now top four to five team in the Western Conference? And, and what do you make of the defense they were able to play without Morant? I think you have to consider them in that range, given, as you've mentioned, the question marks about everybody else in the Western Conference outside of the top three. Uh, Ten and two without Morant. The defensive aspect, you, you wrote about Morant along with De'Aaron Fox. You mentioned him in your discussion of De'Aaron Fox on Friday, right? Like those young point guards that is ahead of the curve as they maybe have been offensively, have not been able to put it together at the defensive end. And, you know, I think one thing you hope is, all the other offense that they've found during this stretch where John Moran is out, 
maybe it's not quite as heavy a load for him offensively, especially with, you know, Desmond Bain suddenly is a decent playmaker out there. Dylan Brooks is is back. He is coming at you in transition at full speed, and he does not care who you are. He does not care if he flies 10 roses. Watching him in transition alarms me through my screen. He's moving so fast. (laughs) And then Jaron Jackson Jr. had a great stretch during these 12 games that Ja has missed, which is... Long term, the absolute biggest thing for them is to get him back to that level that he looked at like like before the knee surgery a couple of years ago. So if all of that translates into a little better jaw effort at the defensive end, they definitely did force more difficult shots during the period that John Moran is out when you look at the second spectrum data. And then the other aspect is they were back up to number one in forcing turnovers. They were... Woo! By a lot, yeah, they were they were good, not quite that good at it last season. But there's a lot of a lot of long armed guys, a lot of guys with high steal rates, which is probably one reason that the the Grizzlies' recent picks have often tended to overlap with players who have come out well in my projections, since steals are such a big factor there. Yeah, they're they're deep. Um, yeah, they're getting good contributions from Slow Mo. Slow Mo is now playing mostly at the four, which which again suits him. He played mostly at the four last year too. He and Melton are coming off the bench together and wreaking havoc. Dylan Brooks is back just talking trash in everyone's face. And Jaron Jackson Jr., he had a sequence last night against Portland where he rotated from the weak side corner to block Dame at the rim on a pick and roll. I think it was Dame. It might have been Nurkic, but I think it was Dame. And then on the next possession from Memphis, just bulldozed Larry Nance Jr. in the post for like a little bank shot. And I was like, oh, baby, here we come with JJJ. He's, he's, he's coming. And with his spacing at the four, when Adams is in the game, they can kind of run spread pick and roll with Adams, which is, which is kind of the only thing you want Steven Adams to do on offense other than offensive rebound. Like their offense doesn't seem flukish to me. And the steals, they had a stat last night on the Memphis broadcast that I think it was like their 11th straight game with 10 or more steals, and it was the first time any team had done that since 1998, according to the Grizzlies broadcast, if I heard that right. I mean, they're just – they're on a string. They're active. They're handsy. I I think – look, are they the best defensive team in the league without Morant? No, but the way they were playing defense to me, it didn't look flukish that they were having a really good defensive stretch. So, yeah, if you can put this – even the overall average defense we've seen from them this season and put that with a top five offense, like that's, that's, you know, it's not a championship contender. How are they fifth in offense? Can you explain that to me? I mean, I, I think a lot of it is they played the Oklahoma city Thunder and, and beat them by 73 points. That's still a fair bit of it. <laughs> but, and they had, they had another game like that the other night against Philly when Philly played without Joel Embiid. And those are, a they have of- caught a lot of these teams during this Morantless stretch. Look, I, I'm glad that there hasn't been this like, are, uh, well, is there, are they better without John Moran or do what's, what's happening here? Because they're minus seven per 100 possessions with Morant on the floor and plus eight with him off. And I think everyone's been very disciplined in correctly noting, don't read anything into that. <laughs> uh, there, w- there was an ESPN alert that suggested I was reading something into it in my mailbag the other day, which I wasn't. Uh, the other thing, by the way, is some three-point shooting lately that's maybe not sustainable. But our guy John Conchar making 70% of his threes or something in the last few weeks. He- He's good. Every time he does anything good, the opposing announcers are like, oh, my God, John Conchar, where did that come from? Like, well, watch the Grizzlies. He comes on the floor and he does good things. He he used to be when he came into the league when he was in college. He was, and, and understand this for what it is, relative to our level of competitions, John Conchar was the NBA player I had seen whose game was the most like back when I played pickup. 
but I can't shoot even remotely. So for him to start making all these threes has completely ruined that comparison. So I'm I'm a little upset at John Conchar for that. So they're shooting well. They've gotten a bunch of opponents without key players. Dallas without uh, Doncic and Porzingis. Philly, you just mentioned the Thunder without everybody, and other there are a couple others like that too. Um, I assume all those turnovers. I haven't looked at the numbers, but turnovers to transition offense is is the most efficient offense you can have. So I assume that's helping. But for this team, I don't like look. Even if you take out that 73-point blowout and they drop to ninth in offense or whatever they drop to, maybe it's even steeper than that. For them to be this efficient offensively without Morant for close to half the season is super, super impressive. I'm I mean, I'm sure the Grizzlies organization themselves is surprised how well they've played offensively. The other aspect of it is, you know, historically going back to the bubble when Tyus Jones was sidelined, when they have had both Jones and Morant off the court, those lineups have usually been dreadful offensively, and they've survived playing a lot of those minutes. And again, I think that's where Desmond Bain's maturation as a playmaker, like he was functionally playing point guard when I saw them in Portland last week. And Dylan Brooks has done a lot of functional point guard play as well because they'll play Melton as backup point guard, and then they'll play neither Jones or nor nor or or neither Jones nor Melton. So no point guard on the floor, and Melton's only like half a point guard, if even that, anyway. Um, and Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks can take all the the horrible hero shots he wants, and my God, did he take some heat checks last night. The king of the foot on He and Danilo Gallinari are having like a secret competition for who can take most foot on the line long twos. And the way he defends and the way he imbues the Grizzlies with his, I mean, apologies for my language, we're the f***ing best team on the court tonight no matter who they're playing. I, I grant him like five of those shots per game. I don't even care. Maybe his teammates don't love it, but I think it's I think they, maybe they do because he I to me I don't care. Do whatever you want. I mean, first off, both those guys have a long ways to catch Nate McMillan, the king of the three pointer with his foot on the line back in his playing days. And second, you know, Jason Quick wrote about this on the Athletic last week. Chauncey Billups, both before and after the Blazers Grizzlies game last week, went out of his way to praise Dylan Brooks and talk about him as the heart and soul of the team. And it really sounded a lot like he wished he had a Dylan Brooks on his team. Hey, Taylor Jenkins told me when they beat the Warriors last year in the playing game, the last playing game to make the playoffs, he's sitting in his office, de- debriefing with the coaches. There's a knock on the door. It's two Grizzlies players. Morant, okay, best player on the team, you expect that. And Dylan Brooks, they come in his office and they're like, hey, coach, just so you know, we're not satisfied. Like, we're built to do more than this. Like, we're not just, we're not stopping here. And just like the way he was shadowing Lillard last night, all the way up and down the court, in his making mean faces, just walking next to Lillard. Lillard would be walking up the court without the ball, and you'd be walking next to him making mean faces. I'm like, man, this has to just suck to be guarded by this guy. He doesn't care if he fouls out. You know, Jaron Jackson might foul out too, although his fouls are a little bit down. His defense looks much better. But I just, I, it just must suck to be, to be guarded. If he followed me around in real life for a day and just like jostled me on the street for an hour, I'd be like, can you, can you, can you get this guy away from me? Um, can we do five minutes on another team that I have hardly talked about at all this year? Let's do it. The Miami Heat are just completely under the radar, 18 and 13, eighth in offense. 10th in defense, so top 10 in both. Uh, Butler's missed a bunch of games. Bam is out for a long time. Markeith Morris has been out since Nikola Jokic almost murdered him in broad daylight. Um, who uh, Tyler Hero's been out for a while. Um, I, I just, 
I, I haven't really figured out how to talk about them because they just have a different lineup every game. I, they're getting good production from some of these bit players like Max Struess and Gabe Vincent, but and Caleb Martin too. I love the Martin twins, by the way. The Martin twins just get in the middle of wherever they go. Cody Cody Martin leads the league in three point shooting. The That's last wild. time I checked, he's shooting fifty percent on threes. What 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 can we take? Is there anything we can take from the Heat? Like, I want there to be something other than congratulations on hanging in, which is a big deal. You want to avoid the play, and it's it's awesome that they've gutted out some of these wins. Is there anything we can take from this first 30 games? I mean, I think they're a fascinating contrast in roster building to the Lakers because both of them, in the Lakers' case, sort of self-imposed because of the luxury tax concerns and then also because of the Westbrook trade which related to the tax concerns. And in the Heat's case, because of the fact that they made the sign-in trade for Kyle Lowry and hard-capped themselves, both had to get massive numbers of players on minimum contracts. So the Lakers, as you mentioned, went almost exclusively guys who were stars five years ago to 10 years ago. The Heat, they did sign four veterans out of the seven minimums they had. You know, Udonis Haslam for his leadership and occasional scuffles. Dwayne Dedman, who's been really good for them this season, is starting in place of Bam. Markeith Morris, as you mentioned. And then Victor Oladipo, who's an interesting wild card for the second half of the season. Literally forgot about Victor Oladipo. He, they showed him on the bench a couple games ago, and I was watching. I was like, oh, that's right. Victor Oladipo's on the heat. Yeah, which could be very interesting. But they three of those spots went to guys with two years of experience or fewer. Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, Omer Yurtsevin, which contrasts with the Lakers' only Austin Reeves fits that criteria for them. And Yurtsevin hasn't played a whole lot. He's playing a little bit now as a backup center. But Struess and Vincent, along with Martin, who's been on a two-way, have just been incredible for them this season. We had huge questions, and I think legitimate questions, about what's the depth of this team going to look like after you make that sign and trade for Kyle Lowry. Like the starting five, like Tyler Hero, how about spots seven through nine? And Struis, Vincent, and Martin have made that just a not a question. I mean, Struis is shooting 41% from three. Vincent's 37.5. Caleb Martin's 38%. These are guys who were not shooters coming into this season. I'm telling you, if there's a loose ball or a conflagration around the rim, or someone trying to get a layup on Miami, Caleb Martin is going to be in there somewhere just mucking shit up. He, he's just a muck-upper. That's what he does. He mucks things up. L- look, this to your point, this was... I, I predicted the Heat would be in danger of, of falling into the play-in if, because of their depth issues. Well, this is their nightmare scenario. Butler's missed a lot of games. Bam's missed a lot of games. Lowry's old and really can only bring the... There's only so so many nights where you can ask Kyle Lowry, can you get me 25 or 30 tonight? Sometimes he he engages that gear. Sometimes he doesn't. And they're sitting here at 18 and 13 with a three-game cushion on number seven, which isn't much, but it's it's better than I would have expected given all those injuries, given that Duncan Robinson is shooting like 31% from three. Um... And it, you know, their four leading scorers are, are three leading scorers rather are all are all out, and and it's, I don't know how they're. I watched them and I'm like, well, they won again. I don't really, you know, there's a little zone defense here, a little Dwayne Dedman there, a little Max Struess here. Gabe Vincent throws up some heat checks and they go in. It's like, okay, I, 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 I mean, I don't even know what the only stat of interest to me right now is. Other than they're good on both ends of the floor, they're 27th in getting to the rim on offense, which is like I feared their offense would be a little bit of a slog, but they're 10th despite all the sudden. Like, I, I think I really hope they get healthy and have a nice couple of months because I still think this is the third best team in the East in terms of championship equity. Um, I would just like to see it. 
Agreed. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about heat culture, obviously, and everything they do. Hashtag heat culture. Sorry. Forgot the hashtag. And everything they do in terms of, you know, fitness from that standpoint. But I don't think they've gotten enough credit for developing shooters. And, you know, the the two like shooting coaches in the league that everyone knows are Chip England, obviously, in San Antonio. It's kind of the, the goat in that regard. And then Fred Vincent in New Orleans, who was a big factor in Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball improving their shots the last couple of years. But Rob Fodor in Miami, I got to know him a few years ago because he spent a year as an assistant coach for the Storm in the WNBA here. Uh, I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for what the way that those guys have transformed their shots and become useful contributors off the bench. I assume he rebuilt Sue Bird's shot, which was absolutely <laughs> broken until a few years ago in Seattle, and she needed this coaching, this bit of coaching, to prolong her illustrious career. Yeah, Shout you gotta, out Sue Bird. Yeah, got to take all the credit for that. Certainly. You want my hottest heat take? Go for it. I like the ransom note jerseys that everyone hates on. I like them, and I don't care that people hate them. I like the fact that the players can pick their own style of numbers on the back of their jerseys, and I can too if I ever if I ever bought a jersey, which I never would, because boy, would I look foolish walking around in it. Can you imagine me on the beach in an NBA jersey? No, thank you. Uh, I like them, and I don't care that they're polarizing. They're they're not as bad as the Cleveland ones from last year. I'll give them credit for that. What were the Cleveland ones? Oh, they were ransom note. They were like the Rock and Roll Roll Hall of Fame ones. That's right. Um, all right, Mr. Pelton. Uh, what else can we? What else can we pump? What did, what you got coming? Other than there's no mailbag coming up for the holidays. We got anything else coming? Yeah, the, this week is quiet. We'll see what sort of breaking news there is. Uh, but uh, next week we're going to come back with the uh, the return of the Golden Basketball Award for the Player of the Calendar Year. Oh, I NBA. love that. It's, I love that. I can't wait to see who that is. It's an interesting debate this year because you've got the Olympics factored in. Uh, guys, you know, Steph has been the dominant factor in the second half of the season, but didn't play in the playoffs. It's a really interesting field. I can't wait to read it. Mr. Pelton, you do fantastic work. Uh, go Kraken, and I will see you soon. Thanks for having me. Go Kraken. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. All right. Let's change gears here and transition into Zach's Amateur Epidemiology Hour, where we have an actual real scientist to talk to us about the Omicron variant sweeping the NBA and sweeping everywhere. It's it's ev- everywhere already. Um he is the chair of the COVID Sports and Society Work Group, which is a very important uh, group of people who are making policy and studying this virus. And the former 
Vice President of Basketball Operations for the Fighting 500 Minnesota Timberwolves. Dr. Robbie Sika, how are you, sir? I'm good, Zach. Happy holidays, and uh, thanks for having me. I know this is a crazy time for everybody. Yeah, it, it is. Um, so, so take us through, you, this is your life now. So take us, and I, and I truthfully lost somewhere along the way the emotional bandwidth required to read the latest on everything that happens with this ever mutating virus. Um, wh- why is this thing so contagious? And let me ask a very stupid question. Does it evade masks? Because it feels like for it to be this contagious and for this many people I know to have it, that maybe it can evade masks? Or is it just that you need such limited exposure in terms of the old distance and time rules without a mask that 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 it's spreading that fast? Look, I think your questions are the same questions that are coming from everywhere. This thing is everywhere, Zach. And the attack rate, or like if you're in a room with this, you want to know what your odds are of getting it, it's super high. And we talked about something like an r naught. that's how many people the virus spreads to in a totally naive population. And it's probably meaningfully maybe two or three times as high as what the original what is, COVID what was. What does naive population mean? A naive population means an unmasked population or an unvaccinated population. And look, in, even in a vaccinated but non-boosted population, this probably in a room if you're there for an hour unmasked, it's probably spreading to 10 to 12 people potentially, if not more. Now, a lot of this is dependent upon the viral load and a lot of this is dependent upon how you are approaching your your own personal safety. But the number one thing, Zach, is people are not masking. You see it everywhere in New York and on the East Coast and here in Minnesota too, same thing, people are not masking and they're not wearing the right masks either. So I think your question about, is this evading masks? People aren't wearing masks and people aren't wearing the right masks. You need to wear at least a KN95 or an N95 mask now. We didn't have that at the beginning of the pandemic. We have it now. And people need to take the initiative to go get masks that are appropriate, especially if you've got kids. If you have one of those masks, are you, would you go to an NBA game? I wouldn't right now simply because there's too many variables that I don't know right now about how contagious this is. Would I travel? Would I get on a plane? I think there's a safe way to travel in a scenario like that where I can avoid ever taking my mask down. But a a stadium venue where there's 65,000 people at an NFL game or 20,000 people there, those are variables that I think are with people screaming alcohol. those, Those do concern me. And I think that those are real risks. Um, there's been a lot of attention paid. I mentioned it, um, last Monday on this podcast and, and it's really now crescendoed over the weekend with what the NFL did about, um, asymptomatic players who test positive and the NBA is not grinding to a halt, but grinding to something with, I think we're almost near 80 players and counting in health and safety protocols, unable to play. Um, and you could already hear the grumbling last week. I mentioned it. Uh, last Monday about, well, we're vaccinated, we're bo- not grumbling. It's not widespread, but you just hear some grumbling. Um, we're vaccinated, we're boosted, we feel no symptoms. Why don't, why shouldn't these players who fit that description and want to play, why shouldn't they be able to play? The The NBA has made the decision, you shouldn't be able to play until you test out of the protocols. The NFL made a slightly different decision and minimized their testing for, for players who fit that description, sort of left it up to them 
T- talk me through the the thought process that goes into a decision like that. You know, as you try and understand how this virus transmits, what we're trying to figure out are strategies for us to move forward. The reality is, Zach, you said it best in your first sentence. You are tired of this and you want to be able to move forward at some level. And the NFL is trying a strategy that's different than the NBA's. And I think that when we look at the NBA strategy, I think that the value to the public health and how they prioritize, not just the health of their players, but to the broader community, speaks volumes to how that league really views itself and how it views its priorities and obligations to the community. They are really putting the community first. They view themselves as role models. And I give the NBA a lot of credit. Zach, the most masked people at NBA arenas are probably the NBA players and staff. It's not, not, and the media, I think, too, to give us some credit, but it's not close. (laughs) I can't believe how many fans are not wearing masks. Absolutely. And and that's part of the reason we're in the throes of this. So I give the league a lot of credit for saying our players are going to be role models. They're going to wear masks and we're going to enforce that. And we're going to show that, hey, this is a path forward. Now, what we are seeing is with this variant, we're learning in real time. Now, when this came up on Thanksgiving Day, really like it snuck up us, snuck up on us on Thanksgiving Day. We're all having our turkeys. We were trying to have a nice. Do you know what my father did on Thanksgiving Day? He gave a toast at the table about how happy he was that we had gotten through the worst of the pandemic so that we could all be together in person. And I literally said during the toast, you cannot say that. And I knocked on wood and it didn't work. Well, you sound like a lot of other families in America. And, you know, I think we all want to find a way to move move past this. And Zach, the, the key things that we need to do to move past it are we need to mask. We need to have a national testing strategy. We need to figure out how we can test to stay open and to use the right tests. And again, when you've got a 97% vaccinated population and a population that's largely boosted, the NBA is going to be able to continue. And I think that that's something that, hey, it might be a little step back in terms of some of the quality and some of the things that you want to see over the next couple of weeks. But the league is going to be able to move forward. And I'm really confident of that because of how agile their program has been to test, identify players early, reduce transmission. This would be so much worse. And just think about it. With all the things that we've done since March 2020, when Rudy Gobert tested positive, 820,000 people have died in this country of COVID. With everything that we've done, we're still going to end up losing well over a million people in this country. That's crazy to me. And that people would say that, hey, this is not a big deal. We did all this stuff and a million people are going to die. That's a big deal. That's a really, really important thing to think about each and every day. And it's why I've put so much effort and so much work into this since leaving the Timberwolves, because, you know, I just remember last year when I, you know, at the very beginning, talking to Carl and talking to his family. And I, I can't... Towns, to be clear. Yeah, Carl, Carl Towns. I, I can't let those conversations go. And I can't let the promises that I've made to Carl and his family and, and everybody go because think about it every single day that I have to do my very best to protect anybody and everybody in the world who is affected by this virus. So, so here is my, I'll call it my educated opinion after talking to people like you and, and others for the last week or so about this issue of should the asymptomatic positive players be able to play and, and, and some of the grumbling and not grumbling is the wrong word. Some of the curiosity about whether that should be. And, and obviously you have things like, you know, why was this team's games postponed, but mine wasn't. And, and we had all these the players. Competitive aspects, yeah. The competitive aspect. That, that's a more artful way of putting it. 
my my take has been I'd rat this is something my my general take is I don't know which which if if hovering underneath an umbrella of I don't know which is the least sexy answer you can give to any question in the world but I I just don't know is if I don't know if I feel uncertainty and even you feel uncertainty as an expert yeah. about how this is going to evolve I'd rather be late than first on loosening things to that degree because I think it's it's like let's be let's be clear if you put a bunch of asymptomatic positive players on the court and have them play basketball it's people will get it just yes. let me ask a very dumb question like you'll get it from playing basketball against asymptomatic positive players correct yeah you will that's part of the reason the league recognizes and look football is an outdoor sport in many ways but this is an indoor sport you can argue the the merits of indoor football as a comparison but regardless when you're talking about asymptomatic individuals and having super high viral loads and having a level of contagiousness that we're seeing with this virus where it replicates and it transmits in two to three days as opposed to four to five days, uh, we're learning this in real time. I mean, one of the unique things right now is it's December 20th, Thanksgiving was less than a month ago, and we haven't cleared some people from Omicron. So we haven't actually gotten people back. So I can't tell you like how long does it take a, a, a vaccinated boosted person to come back because we're just getting to that point. So this is real time. And that real time data is really, really important to analyze because then you will be able to make those decisions a month from now, six weeks from now. And I think that that's part of the, the interesting part about this virus is it's really forced us to think about analytics. And look, I know you love I know you love basketball analytics. One of the really unique things at the beginning, Zach, was we focused on case rates for COVID. We need to probably stop talking about case rates for COVID. It's it's present. What, 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 what does that mean and why should we stop talking about it? Well, we need to focus right now because everybody wants to know when the end of the pandemic is coming. And it's not coming for a little while, but the the numbers that we need to follow are hospitalization rates. This is not going to be over until hospitals are not overwhelmed and until hospitals can handle the case volume. So that's the metric that we need to start thinking about. Just like we talk about, you know, does shooting percentage matter or is it effective field goal percentage, right? Like effective field goal percentage is probably a better way of measuring uh, an offensive player's true shooting acumen and their true value offensively. We, we've got to change the analytics measures that we're looking at here and really focus on what's important to figure out what the endpoint is for this pandemic. And it's still a ways off, but I'm still optimistic that next summer will be meaningfully better and that we will be able to get to a better place. Look, and look, I understand the fact that this is, I, mean, I don't even know what the right word is. This is an inconvenience for teams. It's to some degree an inconvenience for fans who want to see these marquee Christmas games and are not going to be able to see the level of marquee games that yep. were on the schedule. And we have, you know, all of these free agents being called up, 10-day contracts, hardship exceptions, and all of these, you know, you have teams who half their players are out, and it's all these unknown guys that fans don't know. I understand all that. And, and, and am I going to be two places lower in the standings at the end of the year because I had this, you know, 15-game stretch where we were hammered by this? I, I just think in the big picture – to me, I, I still would err on the side of caution. And you mentioned clearing people. I think one of the things, I wonder if you could talk about this, one of the things the NBA is hoping is they have this 10 days or two consecutive negative tests to come back thing. Previously to this variant, 
nobody came back in less than 10 days. The people did not clear all the negative tests in 10 days. We've already seen the Russell Westbrook thing, the Josh Richardson thing. A couple players come back sooner than expected. I don't know. The, it's unclear the exact circumstances of what those were. But I, there is at least vague hope that maybe this one clears a little bit faster. And so this inconvenience, these roster limitations will not last perhaps as long for players who are asymptomatic. Is there anything to that? I think what we will find, Zach, is that boosted individuals clear this faster. How much faster than just a two-dose vaccinated population? I think that that's unclear. But I think we are already seeing early signs that boosted people will clear this faster than two-dose vaccinated people, and that they'll certainly clear it much faster than unvaccinated individuals, which we're, we're certain of. I think that when we get into to the weeds here, the, one of the unique challenges here is that we have a lot of asymmetry in our population. This group was vaccinated here with this vaccine. This group was vaccinated with this vaccine. This group was boosted on this day. And you have all of these asymmetric populations that you're following. We have the ability to analyze this data, but we kind of already all went back to our day jobs. So we've got to find time to really look at this and to pause and to use the holiday season to really try and catch up with what this variant is. Because what a, jo- what a I, joyful holiday time that will be. Yeah, it's not, not how I envisioned uh, spending Christmas with my uh, three-and-a-half-year-old and, and four-month-old. I, I will say, when I got my booster shot a couple weeks ago, and you get to there, you get there, and they're like, so do you want Pfizer or Moderna? And I'm like, I can't believe this is just up to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I read a few things, and it's mine to, like – I'm just deciding, oh, yeah, well, I read that one, New York, to give me the Pfizer. Well, you know what? I'll mix it up and go, like, how is this? I, it just, it was this sensation of, like, I I don't know that I've ever been less qualified to make any decision I have ever made in my life, other than maybe having, trying to have a child. <laughs> it's It kind of reminds me of, like, you know, you go to, you know, you go to, like, the old McDonald's and you fill your fountain cup and you're like, oh, I'll have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, like, you, but you got to pick both there. In an ideal world, you probably get a little bit of both, but we really didn't get that option. But maybe the next booster you get, which we'll probably get another booster um, in a few months. And look, I think, Zach, we'll we'll be talking about this as a multi-dose vaccine. I just want to make one thing clear to to your listeners because they're they're educated and they're obviously sports fans. One of the key things here as we talk about boosters and this vaccine, when the vaccine originally came out, I don't think that the number of cases and the amount of turning down limitations and masking and everything was ever foreseen. So we never expected even a vaccine like Moderna and Pfizer, which worked great, to have to hold up in the face of this much COVID. So expecting them to prevent every infection probably isn't a fair expectation. And I think that that's something that, you know, it's why you brought it up. We can't go too fast now and say, hey, if we're going to start to restrict stuff and travel and, you know, maybe travel parties and some of these other things, uh, we probably should keep that for a little while and agree upon what the restrictions are going to like, what the the turn down is going to be for for restrictions as well. Well, I do think I I do want to say the discussion of whether asymptomatic positive players should be able to play. I think is is a worthy and interesting discussion. I don't think when I say grumbling, I don't mean to say that the discussion is like totally unethical and out of bounds. I think that's actually a worthy and interesting discussion. And and I and I think right now about sixty, maybe a little bit more, sixty percent or a little bit more of NBA players are boosted. 
at some point, hopefully in the not too long future, you will have an NBA player body that is close to 100% vaccinated and close to 100% boosted. Yep. And I think this discussion will reemerge then. And the, the answer might be different then, um, depending on, you know, people's tolerance for risk and whether we just view this thing as 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 part of our lives. But right now, I, I think the NBA is being cautious. I understand why, because not only will playing basketball, you'll get it. But like that, does that mean my father gets it? My mother gets it. Yep. Like there's, there's all these things to consider. It's not just the players on the floor. It's who are they interacting with? But but I do. I don't think that discuss. I think that discussion is like that's going to continue. Right. Yeah, it's absolutely going to continue. And these players have a lot of important family members and kids and, and people who are unvaccinated in some situations and people who are vaccinated but not boosted. So I think, you know, again, what this shows you is that a lot of players, even the skeptical ones, uh, value public health. They value how important they are to the community and how they can be role models and leaders. And I, I really think that that speaks to the broader players union, to the league and to how they've approached it, that they're going to continue on with the right testing approach for making sure that players who are asymptomatic are not uh, increasing community transmission. We know that households are a big risk right now. And so if you're bringing it back to your pregnant wife or pregnant girlfriend, or you're bringing it back to your kids, those are all things that we should, we should try and avoid here. And I think what we're gonna see is, you know, we need to have more testing. You know, how many times were we testing last year? And I think the league has gone back to a lot of those great testing protocols to try and reduce transmission. You can't prevent every case, but you can reduce transmission. Should the NBA pause the season? I don't think there's a reason to right now. You've got a vaccinated population. You've got a population that's more boosted than the broader population. You've got other strategies and mitigation strategies. I think the league is providing a great template, Zach, for how to move forward in the face of a pandemic. And I think your I think your baby daughter thinks they should they should uh, pause the season. She's chiming in from the next room over. I, I can hear her. She's clearly calling for something. She's got an opinion. I think I heard it again. Yeah, she she's got a strong opinion. She definitely has a strong voice. Um, the other thing is the players have a say in all this. We tend to use this language like the NBA decided this, the NBA mandated this. The players' union is involved in all these discussions. They may not be as powerful. That's in the eye of the beholder. But you heard Andre Iguodala talking about it after the Warriors game the other night, saying some players like this, some players don't. But this is – it's not just – oh, these rich owners are, they don't want to lose money. The players don't want to lose money either. That's one factor. I'm not saying that's the only factor or even close to it. A lot of players would prioritize other things over money, but it's it, it's not just um, a one-way street. I, I did want to ask you about the, the pausing of the season, though, because that's it, that doesn't seem likely to happen. There is a point at which they obviously don't want to, and they've allowed teams to beef up their rosters every which way and actually required them to do so. There is there are there is a critical point if half the league is in health and safety protocols at the same time or whatever where I think yeah. that's not off they they are not taking that off the table but it's 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 pretty far from the table right now. I mean maybe it's the who he played for all stars. Uh, we have two teams for the who he played for all stars this year, and we just add that into All Star Weekend. I I love that I love that segment. I love Charles. I love everything about it. Let me ask you just one broad question. You, you do see this theory talked about, written about, and I, I can't tell if it's people trying to wish it into existence or if it's a real thing. But the theory is this is what happens to novel viruses. They become more contagious and less severe as they mutate. 
And eventually they not peter out, but they become the flu or they become just something that is around and doesn't like kill people. This appears in this in this wishing it into existence. This appears to be happening maybe with covid because Omicron is uh, super duper contagious, but appears less severe. Maybe maybe that's because everyone a lot of people are vaccinated and boosted. But is there any. Do you see that kind of hope or is this just is this just the same thing as me getting Pfizer, my Pfizer booster and being like, well, yeah, Pfizer down the line. That's got to be better than mixing and matching. Yeah. Is, is it anything different than that? Uh, I think people are wishing it. I, so I've been really fortunate to have really, really smart people that I've worked with over the last couple of years, whether it's Andy Slavitt or Celine Gallander or Ethan Burke, Life Adamson, the Saliva Direct team. But one of the, the really intelligent people that I've worked with is a guy by the name of Jim Lawler from the University of Nebraska. And a couple of weeks ago, he presented this data looking at a virus that's more contagious, so twice as contagious, but half as fatal as another virus. And the virus that's twice as contagious, but half as fatal, so 1% versus 2%, actually kills more people. And the reason is it just spreads that's like wildfire. Yeah, that's math. And that's the problem. What we have right now, Zach, is this spreads like wildfire. This is more like measles and how contagious it is. A virus doesn't want to kill you. It wants to spread. This is still a bit of a fatal virus. And more than that, it causes long COVID. And long COVID is a real phenomenon that's impacted NBA players. It's impacted NFL players. That's the part that I don't want my kid to get COVID for that reason. And it's the part that we stop talking about. We really focused on death rates and we focused on case rates. Hospitalizations, people getting seriously ill and people having long COVID are two things that we need to talk more about because I know plenty of people who have long-term shortness of breath, lightheadedness, fatigue, muscle soreness, and there are NBA players who have the same thing. And you know, there's players that have probably been on your podcast that have, you know, that are on inhalers long-term or that, you know, have had real long-term effects, not just lost loved ones. That's what we need to talk about and why my hope is that we quickly through sports find out that if you're boosted, this is how quickly you can come back. This is, you know, it's meaningfully faster than if you're just vaccinated with two doses or that if you're unvaccinated and that encourages people to go get vaccinated and get boosted. Let's end on a, I can't end. I just can't end like this. I can't, I just, emotional blame my emotional frailty. Okay. Say something positive about the Timberwolves. Are you happy about the Timberwolves? They're 15 to 15. This is your local team. You love the Timberwolves. It was your dream to work for them. You did. They're fighting. They're 500. They have uh, Anthony Edwards. Uh, who else? Pat Beverly went into protocols. They have their own issues. Are you watching every game, or can you do you not have time to watch Minnesota anymore? I'm, I'm still watching them. I love seeing how hard Carl's playing. And I know that, you know, in your your uh, your weekly 10 last week, you talked a little bit about his turnover rate, but he, he's playing much better defense. He's playing really hard, and it, it really makes me happy to see that. I think he's pushing himself uh, probably as hard as he ever has physically. Watching Ant play is just so much fun because he's just such a ball of energy and so positive. And just, you know, whether it's him getting to the rim and finishing, it's really fun. But you've noted it too. The defense on that team is so much meaningfully better than it's been over the last few years. The team has a real chance to to not just be a an end of the you know end of the Western Conference playoff team, but make some noise. If guys get better, if Jaden starts playing a little bit better, um, if some of the other guys really start um, playing really well, that team has a chance to to make some noise in the playoffs and do some damage, which would be fun for Minnesota, for me. 
uh, and for that whole group because it's been great to see Sachin and, and everybody there find some success. Is Anthony Edwards as fun behind closed doors as he is in front of a microphone? Oh man, I have so many stories. I just, I, I love that kid. He is such a fun, nice, genuine kid. And he still owes me a Madden game. So if he ever hears this, uh, I'm sure he's going to kick my tail, but uh, he does owe me a Madden game. He's, uh, he's everything that you would want from a superstar and more. And uh, Minnesota is going to be really happy to have him in the next 10 years. Dr. Ravi Sika, you have been a valuable sounding board for lots of people over the last couple of years. Um, I appreciate you answering my silly, my stupid questions, um, but um, please keep up the good work. We, we need all the smart people dealing with this and trying to minimize the damage. So thank you for taking a little time. Now go back to doing actual important things. Thanks for having me, Zach. Happy holidays. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.